And we now believe that whether you put mesenchymal stem cells from you or from somebody else in your, say, knee space, it's not those cells that actually make up the new cartilage or the new bone or the new synovium, but rather they signal through a paracrine form of mediation. These little vesicles leave. These little vesicles get picked up by cells that are already in your knee. And so that all you're doing, no matter what you put in, is creating an awake portion of a pool of resident stem cells who will then go about their work and start rebuilding structures. Welcome to the Regenerative Warrior Podcast, Doctor's Edition. One of the fastest growing regenerative medicine and anti-aging podcasts in the world. Each and every Tuesday and Thursday, I talk to the top experts to show doctors how to market, manage, and magnify their practice to help more people and make more money. Each episode is short and to the point without wasting your time with pointless conversation. Learn the skills to be successful without traveling to seminars or paying for expensive consulting fees. Are you ready? Because I am. I'm Dr. Ross Carter, and it's time to start the Regenerative Warrior Podcast now. Two things before we get started. The views expressed by our guests are not necessarily those of Dr. Carter or this podcast. One of our podcast partners has just announced special pricing for our listeners. Wharton's Jelly Allograph for $475 per cc. You heard that right, only $475. White papers are available. This is for a limited time, so act now. Why pay double or triple the price from other providers? To learn more or to order, text your name and the word JELLY, J-E-L-L-Y, to 561-962-1231. Write that down. It's 561-962-1231. On with the show. Doug Spiel, I've gone through a couple of different iterations in my career. I started as a radiologist and I was a trauma radiologist for a few years. For the last 18 years, I've been doing interventional pain and there's been changes over the years, obviously, where many of us, we build upon the skill sets that we had. Regenerative medicine has really been a burgeoning group of different treatments over the last decade. And we've seen a lot of changes for those of us who've played in that field. We've seen changes from PRP and platelet-rich fiber and matrix. We've seen many different specific utilizations of umbilical cord products. We've seen many of the different ways that people have processed fat with SVF and bone marrow. For the last couple of years, I've done primarily bone marrow and SVF from fat. About two years ago, I started shifting, and I kind of call myself a blender, so that I was using exosomes from the sankable stem cells in conjunction with these two autologous methods of stem cell delivery. And then finally, within the last year or so, I pretty much switched over directly to MSC exosomes with or without a scaffold, depending upon where I'm working in the body. Perfect. So tell everybody, what exactly is an exosome? So simply put, if you look back about 30 years ago, people were under the belief that if you took stem cells, these are these little precursor cells that can essentially turn into anything we thought, muscle, bone, nerve, glial structures, and the like. And you put them in your knee or you put them in your spinal canal, you put them in your disc. We were under the belief that no matter whether they came from your own fat or bone marrow or from a young child's umbilical cord or placental-derived tissues, we were under the belief that those stem cells would essentially grow into the cartilage of your knee, into the intervertebral disc of your low back. Fast forward about a quarter century, 
and even the forefather of mesenchymal stem cells, Arnold Kaplan, has kind of repositioned his viewpoint such that what he used to call mesenchymal stem cells, he's now terming medicinal signaling cells. So we really believe right now that the cells are secreting little vesicles, little packets. The packets contain growth factors and cytokines that are essentially proteins, and the messenger RNA that are the little machines that make the proteins, and they're packaged inside of little membranes. The membranes are derived from the parent MSC, and we now believe that whether you put mesenchymal stem cells from you or from somebody else in your, say, knee space, it's not those cells that actually make up the new cartilage or the new bone or the new synovium, but rather they signal through a paracrine form of mediation. These little vesicles leave. These little vesicles get picked up by cells that are already in your knee that are almost bone, almost cartilage, almost synovium. We call those resident stem cells. And so that all you're doing, no matter what you put in, is creating an awake portion of a pool of resident stem cells who will then go about their work and start rebuilding structures and the like. So rather than just utilizing cells, a number of years ago, some of the scientists thought, well, maybe it's more important just to get the signalers. And the signalers don't work unless they're in the membranes. So the effect that you get is secondary to the fact that the other cells recognize these little vesicles and basically phagocytize them or pull them out of the solution. And then they get internalized in those cells. They begin laying down proteins and the like and secreting vesicles of their own. And in fact, some of these vesicles contain forms of enzymes that will actually allow for portions of the DNA, which is really the genetic code in all those cells, to start laying down some growth factors and some proteins that they may not have produced in many, many years. Okay. So you're kind of turning them into a younger, better version of their earlier selves. The problem with regeneration in our bodies, you yeah. know, we're aging. Yeah. And we're losing cells every day. Yes. Many of the tissues of our bodies keep up okay. And at your age, you're probably, your muscles are keeping up okay. Right. At some point, the vessels in your muscles will start to atrophy and you'll have less capillaries. Mm -hmm. You will subserve less of these nutrients to the resident stem cells of your muscle known as satellite cells. And you will lose more muscle than you start creating, right? There's a constant state in your body of anabolism and catabolism. Right. When catabolism outdistances anabolism, yeah. things go south. <laughs> so the idea here is to basically rebalance anabolism of catabolism, and if you can, maybe upregulate the productive forces so that you can actually build forward instead of losing steps back. Okay, so you continue anabolism and not catabolism. Correct. That's the whole goal. So when if somebody's doing a treatment, would you recommend they just continue to do like a maintenance kind of treatment through the rest of their life as, as long as they possibly can to not deteriorate? I think the best portion of your question, which is a very, very sentient question, is does it pay to retreat? And let's see what we're treating for. We live in a society where we're trying to pay it back rather than pay it forward. Mm -hmm. I mean that we live in a society where we treat afflictions once they've proven themselves afflictions. Very few of us are trying to congestive uh, heart disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, cardiovascular disease before they happen. Right, right. So case in point, if I could decrease the inflammation in your body, I think you can make a very compelling argument that inflammation kills us. High inflammatory states are now associated with cardiovascular disease and stroke, and many of the reasons we die is due to these etiologies suddenly showing themselves in middle age. 
So what if we could give you something that would turn back the clock of time and decrease progressive inflammation? Well, there are some interesting predicate studies that suggest that exosomes can do this. There's a very interesting study where they took specific exosomes from umbilical cord cells, MSCs. Little different cargo. I take the MSCs from placental-derived tissues, but very close. And they were giving it to people intravenously through the veins or in the arteries leading up to the kidneys themselves. And they gave two treatments over, over a week and a half. And what was interesting is they gave a total of about 15 or 16 milligrams. And they looked at anti-inflammatory and pro-inflammatory factors. It should be of interest to you that the anti-inflammatory factors peaked at 12 weeks but stayed above baseline for 52, meaning that if you wanted to decrease inflammation, you may make a point of treating people every 12 weeks intravenously to keep them younger. Now, you're going to reflect back to patients who just have a bad knee. You want to treat them once or twice. If the knee continues to do well, you don't need to continue to treat them every year. How long does it last? So that's the interesting portion to this. People get PRP treatments every couple of weeks and keep getting them because they're proteins, and proteins get denatured by your body by proteinases. If I give you messenger RNA, these are little machines that get passed cell to cell so that your cells will continue the cascade of anabolic activity. Over the period of many months or up to a year or more, they will continue with anabolic activity that is leading you in a positive balance. So if your knee had a cartilage defect Mm -hmm. and you want to start fixing some of that, if I told you for the next 6 or 12 months, you'd be working towards that. And at the end of 12 months, we take a look where you are. And if you feel good and it looks a little better, do you retreat? Probably not. On the other hand, suppose you had a stroke or a spinal cord injury and I treat you at day zero. And at six months, you're pretty good, but you've plateaued. Your strength has plateaued. Maybe your dynamic studies have plateaued. And at 12 months or nine months, you're not getting any better. You're someone who still has a deficit. You probably still want to treat. Absolutely. So those are cases where we'll retreat. Sorry for the interruption again. To find out more about this speaker, become a speaker on our show, have Dr. Carter present at your event or podcast, learn more about coaching, consulting, tissue allographs, exosomes, supplements, legal health, or how to create a million-dollar business card and dominate your area, we're here to help you. Just text your name and any question to 561-962-1231. Write that down. That's 561-962-1231. Or go to our website at drrosscarter.com to learn more. Don't forget about our current $475 Warden's Jelly Special. On with the show. Autoimmune disease. We similarly, we treat every six to 12 weeks, depending upon both the clinical state of the patient and what the blood work looks like. Is that through IV? Yes. Okay. So you IV the uh, exosomes. Exosomes are very safe. So whereas you've heard people talk about clumping of cells, cells getting caught in the lungs, exosomes are one one hundredth the size of a cell. One one hundred. So theoretically, you can put them virtually anywhere. I put them intrathecally in the cerebral spinal fluid. I put them in discs. And what about infections? They ever cause that kind of a problem? No. Okay. So they're immunomodulatory, but they don't compromise your immune system to the extent of steroids. I don't give them to people who are on immunosuppressive therapy. If you're on an autoimmune drug, which dampens your immune system, I like you to stop it for three half-lives. Why? Because you're about 10 or 15% of the activity at that point. I think it's fairly safe. How do you get exosomes? We basically take placental-derived C-section tissues. Mm-hmm. 
we take out the mesenchymal stem cells from these. These are the earliest adult MSCs we can touch. Mm -hmm. From the day you're born, they're termed adult. We plate them, we grow them and expand them, and through a proprietary method, we spin off the DNA and the membranes, leaving only the vesicles, which are subsequently concentrated. When you say spin off, you like a centrifuge? That's the separation technique, separating the cells. Are the mesenchymal cells killed? We're removing the media that is secreted, the culture media, which are the exosomes and the microvesicles. Are so small, how can you see what you're getting? So we have nanocytes. So nanocytes are very small types of microscopic lenses that we can quantify and see the actual number of exosomes. Uh And similarly, we run third-party assays Uh looking at our proteins, cytokines, interleukin profiles, as well as recently mRNA profiles. Are these going to be higher than, say, you know, umbilical cord cells from the beginning? So what you're really looking at are apples and oranges, but let me introduce this. Sure, sure. When you look at a lot of the labs, and if you've read many of these studies, you realize that patients are receiving, when they're talking about exosomes in the studies, they usually take an umbilical cord amount of cells. They will cure them over a period of 24 hours. Cure them and... They'll grow them and expand them. And over 24 hours, they'll then milk out whatever the exosomal broth is or the secretions. Okay. In 24 hours... In a simple secretion, a million cells will secrete about 100 micrograms of exosome. A million mesenchymal pure, right? Yes. Okay. When we give you a 5 ml vial, we're giving you 15 milligrams of exosomes. So if you were curing them over 24 hours, your own mesenchymal stem cells, you would need 150 million cells to make that many exosomes. So your equivalent of that, that's a five milliliter uh, vial? So we, our equilibration is in terms of milligrams. Oh, milligrams. I'm sorry. So 15 milligrams. Now we can proprietarily get 15 milligrams from about five to seven million cells, but the way we grow and expand and concentrate is a little bit different than the run of the mill center. Let's say, you know, somebody wants like lots of stem cells and they say, I can't get that done legally here in the United States. And they say, well, I'll fly off to Panama, right? And go get tons of those cells. And I know people who do that. And there's some differences there, right? So if I get repeated doses, let's try intravenous doses. Yes. If I get repeated doses of a pool of umbilical cord stem cells yes. that were expanded and you give me the same dose from the same pool a couple of weeks later, I can have allergic reaction to that because now I have an adaptive immune system that will have seen the antigens in those cells and cause an allergic reaction the second time. Is there still antigens um, on umbilical cells? Yes, they all have HLA type one. The MH2 type twos are not on these and that's why they use the term immune privileged. Right, which I've heard, but what about the HLA-DRs? Is that different or the same? So I've been told by the immunologists yes. that the ones are present, the twos are not. Gotcha. So they're still antigens. So when you expand those cells, it could cause a reaction in your body. If you go out of the country, that's one of the risks. would happen when you have that kind of reaction? What would it, you expect? We can have up to and including an anaphylactic life-threatening reaction, specifically if you give it intravenously. So you could get quite a severe cytokine storm. And so the benefit of doing just the exosomes with that type of quantity of cells, you've removed the cells and now you're using just the... Just the exosomes. So there's very, very tiny um, proteins. And the only thing we've ever seen is mild allergic reactions, which are really um, completely ameliorated by pre-treating with Benadryl. And I haven't even seen that 
with non-intravenous forms of truth. If someone, let's say a doctor is interested or who's been doing, let's say, regenerative procedures and been using some of these umbilical cord products and things like that, and they're like, I really want to get better results, but I know I can't do the things that I want to do that is illegal in this country. Is this, would you say, the next best thing or the next small thing? I think it's an excellent question. I think this is sufficient and as good as anything you can get out of the country utilizing adult stem cells. And safer. Yeah, it's safer. And the real reason is, you know, we've all been kind of told by society that you need more cells, more cells. Right. You don't need more cells. I mean, I've treated people in their late 80s just with exosomes and their hips and their knees and shoulders, you know, those things get better. Uh-huh. They get better because even though they're older and their stem cells are older, they are still present. And as long as the resonant stem cells that are resonant to the tissues, and I mean all tissues, right. there's precardiocytes that are pre-heart cells in your heart, in your liver, in your kidneys, certainly in your nervous system. So as long as those cells are still there, they are ready to be reawakened. And just by infusing the exosomes into those areas, those cells will start turning like they were young again. Is there an age limit? I haven't seen one, and I've treated up to 90. And the people that were that age still got positive results? And what conditions have you seen this work really well with? Neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. MS, strokes, common run-of-the-mill osteoarthritis, where people have bone-on-bone. You know, are you aware why most of the people in this country go for total knees and total hips? Am I aware why? Yeah. Because doctors tell them to do it. They don't have an option. Well, mostly because they have pain. Of course. So the larger argument with all these patients is um, some of them come in and they're always asking, will I grow cartilage? I always tell them that as their age progresses and the disease severity worsens, your chances of getting pain relief still remain high and your chances of your cartilage being reborn less likely so and you may make less cells as you get older. But the real thing you're trying to do with a really advanced population is take the pain away. Any growth that you get over and beyond that, whether you use stem cells or exosomes or anything else, certainly is gravy. But, you know, you know as well as I know, as an interventional physician, as specifically as a pain doctor, you're here to make people's quality of life better. And and that really should be the yardstick. That should be the yardstick on whether you're doing neurodegenerative diseases, whether you're doing neuropathic pain, whether you're doing peripheral neuropathy, whether you're doing any of these arthritis problems or ligamentous problems. It should always be quality of life. And that should be the yardstick by which you measure your patient's success. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Please subscribe to be notified of all new episodes and also like and share this to help us grow. To find out more about this speaker, become a speaker on our show, to have Dr. Carter present at your event or podcast, learn more about coaching, consulting, tissue allographs, exosomes, supplements, legal help, or how to create a million-dollar business card to dominate your local area, we're here to help you. Just text your name and your question to 561-962-1231. Write that down. That's 561-962-1231. Or you can go to our website at drrosscarter.com. That's D-R-R-O-S-S-C-A-R-T-E-R.com to learn more. Until next time, this is Dr. Ross Carter signing off. Signing off.